the from base to screen. Hello. Skype doesn't do the ringtone anymore. I know. I I remembered last week or whenever it may be, and uh, I had Skype just kind of sitting there on top just in case, and there we have it. No, no. Down, um, Even ring. when I'm the one ringing the group, it is literally just silence after I click ring group. So <laughs> I, and then I, I don't even hear a little click when people joined. We don't even know if Stu Miller's here. He might, he might be off watching a Del Toro marathon or something, but I'm guessing he's here. You're right, Stu. I am here. You yep, are I'm here. here. Good, good. Did you, you didn't get a ringtone either? Nope, because I have notification sounds turned off on my phone. <laughs> oh, is that how sociable you are? You are pretty sociable uh-huh. when you want to be, though. Yeah, when when I have to be in a way. Like when it's uh, a music it, festival or something. Yeah, pretty much that. Or if, if I've seen a film. Well, you do watch the odd film now and again, don't you? Yeah, every now and again. So, uh, <laughs> this is this is like the well, it's not like it is. It's the seventh of September, and we've not done our August top tens yet. We got a little bit behind, so we're going to try and knock out some of those this episode and then obviously if we've got time after we tear through our lists um we can talk about the, the amazing film that rob's watched one of many but i know which one he was, he's absolutely loved and i'm very happy they loved it and then um we can find out what the pair of us have watched as well so have you got your next top 10 ready rob i have good did you have it? Would you have had it ready if i didn't mention earlier on that we may be going through it and Stu may be joining <laughs> us in this episode um I would have had it 90% ready. Right, so you'd have had like nine films. Yes. So you might not have had this amazing one that I'm hoping is probably, not necessarily going to be, <laughs> going to be on this 10, but it's going to be it one of the be. remaining ones. Yeah, <laughs> well, when I watched I just chucked mine in straight away. So uh, well, exactly I, I, we will, uh, we will, why not? We will let you go first, Rob, because we'll start off on a high and then it's probably all downhill from there afterwards. Oi. Well. <laughs> Who says you're going last? I might go last. <laughs> yeah, but still, that means that my list is going to be worse than Rob's, no matter which well, position I'm to. Then, the, the way you're well, back. you know, the, well, you haven't chosen things like Greece two in the past, have there, you? So there is. You there, are below me. There, yeah, there, but <laughs> what makes you think that Greece two is not in my August list? Then, <laughs> very, uh, very you know good what? point. You know. Um, my hat goes off to you if it is. I actually think Grease 2 is in Stu's December list because then that would put it in the actual top 10 films of all time. But we will have to wait till probably like March we find out about the December ones okay. at this rate. But you never know. It might be in mine as well, he says. So go on, Rob. What have you got? Right. I'm going to go uh, in order as I uh, wrote it, but not necessarily, obviously, in order as... Uh, as it would be if uh, a gun was to my head and I had to choose, um, you know, a, a space for things. So number one this uh, this month is ten things I hate about you. Okay. Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles. It was uh, one of those movies that I owned. Um, you know, I think it's one of those kind of great kind of teenage um, love story movies. Um, so, uh, you know, the time of my life when I was into that kind of stuff, um, that was pretty much the top of my list. And, uh, obviously I say it all the time, it's got cracking soundtrack as well. So, uh, you know, that really kind of helps it out. And I also do own the soundtrack on CD. 
I had the soundtrack on tape, I think, way back when. And that's, I saw 10 Things I Hate About You at the cinema. Ooh. So, yeah. It was around the same time as Never Been Kissed came out, and I saw that at the cinema yeah. as well. So, you know, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have that on DVD as well, or it might have been VHS, not sure which. Okay, good start. It, it is a very sort of like cultural zeitgeist film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, 10 Things I Hate About You, because it's sort of like, it's one of those kind of films that encapsulates sort of like what society was like around about that time. If you look across films over the the decades, there's always a few films that do stand out that shows the attitudes of different age groups. And 10 Things I Hear About You was probably like that cultural zeitgeist of that kind of era of what teenagers were actually like. Very American teenagers, but you could still even see it as like the attitudes of British teenagers were sort of like mirroring what American teenagers was like. And it was one of the first times that it was actually happening. Because if you look at like 60s teenagers in the UK compared to the US, it was a different kind of feel to it. But when it started to get through the decades, when you get to the 90s and you get to films like 10 Things I Hate About You, it they would start to sort of like mirroring at each other. So it was like, it, even if you're not a fan of it, it's that kind of film that defines a generation in other words. Would you put it along, so if you have like a collection, so I think Never Been Kissed is very similar, uh, American yeah. Pie, although that's slightly cruder than 10 Things I Hate About You, isn't it? Yeah, and it's more comedic, whereas 10 Things yeah. I Hate About You is kind of more... Sweet. Uh, yeah, and, and, and real, because I remember, you know, I was just out of um, kind of college and school at this point, so all right, all right. it, it, it <laughs> struck a chord with me, because, you know, obviously I'd just been going through all that kind of bullying part of my life um and uh 10 things i hate about you has has those moments where you go oh, i wish um that kind of stuff uh would have happened to me or yeah it is i mean do, do you find that Stu? it's like i know i used to watch a lot of the john hughes stuff and then i would look at it and i was slightly older than the characters in the films at the time, but I always used to watch those in the same way Rob did with, with those films going, Oh, I wish that was my high school years. It clearly wasn't, but you know, I kind of wish it was. Yeah. Sort of like for me, it, it, I was more into the fantastical side of things and the, um, watching films like flight of the navigator and the way oh. the child was actually reacting in films <laughs> like flight of the navigator. Or even if you look at films like ET, yeah. the way the child was actually reaction, reacting to the parent that was sort of like me, um, Stand By Me, I know it is obviously my favourite film of all time, but mm. I never sort of like acted the way they did in that film. But if you look at those classics like The the Flight of the Navigators, that's pretty much how I acted as a child in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and then sort of like, I think they were pretty much my same age group with these films in the 90s, The Never Been Kissed and The Ten Things I Heard About You. And as you said, American Pie was sort of like a more fantasy one kind of thing because how many people or how many friends did you know experimented by having sex with a pie well, <laughs> i know i know i did and you know i'll give you one tip never do that in a chip shop they don't <laughs> like, they, they don't like it and you you get stuck in one of those little glass uh, those you, steak and kidney pies are you, as well. well i always thought the cheese pies were better because they were a bit more sort of comforting i think Scott, and that's why you lost your job at the Mr. Kipling factory as well. That's exactly why. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what else you got, Rob? That's a good choice, uh, by the way. I like that one. Uh, second on my list, uh, 1985, uh, Cocoon. Yes. Uh, oddly, um, Disney has Cocoon 2 
but not Cocoon on uh, Disney Plus. I was I I was talking because Annette and I watched Cocoon like a couple of years ago, and she'd never seen it. And I said, "Have you watched the second one?" Sure, I didn't even know there was a second one. So I'm very happy that Disney has it because I'll it does. sit and watch that one. But why doesn't it have the first one? That's what I don't understand. Same, same reason Netflix has Ip Man three and four, but not one and two, <laughs> or Amazon Prime or whatever it is has It Chapter two, but not It Chapter one. It, who knows why? Mm. But you know, again, that was that was one of those uh, movies um, that I had on the good old um, taped from TV VHS. Um, you know, that and Cocoon 2. Um, and it's, it, it's really different, I think, compared to sci-fi, um, kind of mainstream sci-fi that, that you see all the time. You know, how often do you see, you know, a film that evolves around, the um, aliens and old age pensioners? And when you think about Cocoon, well, I do anyway, I think about the pensioners and then think about the aliens yeah, rather than the other way around. And do you want to know the reason why Cocoon is not on Disney Plus? Yes, please. Yeah. The music rights to it. Um, oh. Disney have not actually got the musical rights to distribute the film itself on its platforms. Um, so it has got the musical rights to Cocoon 2, mm-hmm. but the music, <laughs> the music elements in Cocoon, and it's pretty much... It can explain why a lot of films might not actually be on specific streaming services, that the sequel might be and the original might not be and vice versa. Okay. It's mainly probably down to musical rights because musical rights have a different sort of like rights compared to film uh, rights. So it is probably just down to that and it's harder to change the music in yeah. a film compared to a video game because a video game, they can easily just take it out and redistribute it in a film it's harder to actually do that. So it is probably just down to the music rights. Uh-huh. So, so I, that makes, makes more sense than anything I could come up with. So, I'll yeah. Quite, yeah. <laughs> so what's your number three then, Rob? Uh, number three, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 1971. Yes. Um, good old Gene Wilder. Um, you know, that is obviously how I, and I think most people, unless you were born in the last 10 years, were introduced to the world of uh, Wonka and his Chocolate Factory. Um, you know, it's it's a weird film in a way because... There's that one moment where they're going through um, the chocolate river tunnel and you've got like the the decapitation of a chicken and that kind of stuff in there. And that's so bizarre with how the rest of the movie is. Fucking terrifying. Because that's is that yeah. the same scene where Gene Wilder's literally screaming or ah, yeah. the wheels are turning and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's terrifying shit for a kid. It's amazing. I know. More films should uh, scare the pants off kids. Not like literally scare the pants off. We're not talking to BBC here. But, uh, you know, more films should be terrifying for kids. And, you know, ever, ever kind of since watching that movie, I always wanted um, a sequel um, being charlie and the great glass elevator which we never got but we are getting wonka next year which is a prequel so uh, i'm looking forward to it are you um uh, yeah i am well, glad I, some, I glad somebody is <laughs> um you know the the backstory of how we met the umpa lumpers and uh, i actually think um they're also gonna try and turn it then into some magical kind of multiverse because I read rumours that uh, they were looking to like tie it in 
with like the BFG world and yeah. um and, and that kind of stuff. So it wouldn't surprise me if wherever the Umpa Lumpas come from, they are very little people and maybe there are very big people there as well called BFGs or um giant peaches, which obviously maybe again was just discarded by the BFG. Possibly. But yeah, do we need a prequel? I don't know. But I don't know. I'm I'm gonna give it a, a try. I gave um uh the the Johnny Depp movie uh, ago before yeah, uh, I, I did as away. well that's why I'm apprehensive about this another one yeah but as as kind of Johnny Depp movies go it wasn't as dark as I thought it would have been and uh, I came out pleasantly surprised you know uh, whilst it's uh, you know nowhere near my favourite version of uh, Wonka no. um I, you know, I would watch it again. I'd be curious to know which version of Willy Wonka your daughter would prefer, because mm-hmm. she—I don't know if she's seen either of them. But she the, loves the original, right? So she'd be like Johnny Depp. <laughs> Get rid of him. Yeah, probably she's, yeah, more Amber Heard side then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that's ne- it's Netflix that's doing the uh, thing, isn't it? These Roald Dahl things, I believe it is. As long as it's not HBO Max, because, yep. you know, if it was, we'd probably never see it. So Yeah, it's Netflix. Good, good, good. So what's next? Uh, the next one on my list uh, is a comedy movie from 2009, and it's Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Okay. Uh. <laughs> Steve, are you actually... It's, this is probably the first time ever that you've heard that film be in the top list of anything, really, isn't it? Yeah, the the only thing I can see here is that at least you didn't go with Paul Blot Mall Cop too. No, second was no, terrible. It, I like I like the first one. It's not as good. No, it, so it's, it's horrendous. And my show didn't exist before um, <laughs> uh, Paul Blot Mall Cop came out, but um, it obviously did exist when the sequel came out. And I reviewed it, and as you can, as you can probably guess, it actually got a little bit of a stew rant. So, um, <laughs> and yet you, you still didn't swear. On it. Yep, I still didn't that's, swear. That's good going. I reviewed Jack and Jill without swearing. That that's is, like, yeah, that, how's that possible? That, it's not possible. You must have edited to swear it out. Nope, but, it was live. But I've got to say, Mall Cop, it, you know, I I was a big uh, King of Queens fan. Mm-hmm. fan and uh, that's when I was introduced to, obviously, Kevin James. Um, and then I kind of started um, looking for movies that uh, Kevin James had been in. And there was just there's just something when I first watched um, Paul Blart Mall Cop, it was just, you know, great Kevin James humour. And, uh, yep. yeah. Again, um, I've never heard that in a sentence before, neither. <laughs> <laughs> now you have. Now you have. Yeah. You wait, Stu. You wait till they get to the end of my list. I'm going to give you uh, what for. (laughs) Uh, Wait until you get to the end of my list. You'll be uh, looking at the the last film I'm going to see, and you go, what, you've included that in your bad mouth and Paul Blart Mall Cop? (laughs) Well, possibly. (laughs) I I will write a note of that just so I can remind Rob. Uh, So, Rob, have you seen Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2? Grown Ups 2 is not great, but Grown Grown Ups 1 is very funny. Yes. I'm with you. I like Kevin James. It's something something comforting. It's just like you're watching a stupid stupid film that is it's not intelligent, but it will entertain you and make you smile. I've never liked a single one of his films. Really? Did you never watch what was 
What was that one, Rob? Because you watched it, uh, Becky, the horror film. That was holy that shit. Was Kevin an James amazing is like film. he's unrecognizable in it, but my god, is that not a Kevin James role? So if you <laughs> like your horror films, Stu, which I know you do, well, check one I, out called Becky. Yeah. Do but um, no, <laughs> you didn't like that one either. Oh no! You what did Kevin James ever do to you? <laughs> he started acting. Is that what it is? Oh, oh is that what it is? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> go on, Rob. What's next? Uh, next on my uh, list is one that I know Stu will agree with. Finally, um, Train to Busan. Yeah, good, good show. Um, obviously, I watched this the wrong way around because i watched uh peninsula first because that was the one that amazon was giving away for free um and i have to say their trip worked because literally right after i'd finished watching it i went out and purchased uh train to busan and watched that too looking back i should have purchased it on a different digital platform so uh, amazon didn't get their way but i didn't so amazon got my money why why should you have uh, got it on a different platform well, then their their whole kind of withholding number one would have backfired on them. Yeah, Money would true. have gone to their uh, competitors. It just encourages them, doesn't it? And they're like, ha-ha, we got him in the end, so therefore yeah. we'll, we'll carry on doing it with, like, the It movies. It's probably my fault, you know. Yep, mm. somebody did it. Somebody fell for it. So uh, that's it now. <laughs> probably. Yeah, Train to Busan is a fantastic zombie. Uh, sort of on Zombies on a train. Chaotic, mm-hmm. just mental film. But yeah, it's really good. I haven't seen the second one yet. I've just not got around to watching it. So. Have you seen the animated one as well, Soul Station? No. I, I want to. It's the. Um, is it on any kind of streaming platform at the moment for free, or is it another one I've got to dig in my pocket for? I don't know. Um, while you're obviously going through your list, I'll have a quick little look. But um, Soul Station is not too bad, considering it. It is a film that sort of like. The animated film, which tells the story before the events yeah. of Train to Busan. Uh, but it, it is definitely worth a watch. It's much better than Peninsula because I didn't like Pen- Peninsula, annoyingly, <laughs> because it just really lost the feel of what Train to Busan was. Um, it just felt like it tried to do what Alien and Aliens did, like make the second one more action orientated. Yes. Yeah. That's not what Train to Busan was actually about. Yeah, so it's, it lost- it's very different. Yeah, it lost its way completely, and I, I can understand why a director might do that instead of treading exactly the same ground. But if you've got a successful thing with Trent Bassant and you need to keep that tension going, you don't go down the route that Peninsula did. I know, but, but, but what then, would they fold it up with then if, uh, you know, if, if they're trying to stay on the same lines, you know, buzz to Tokyo? Possibly. Um, <laughs> they, they could have gone with maybe somebody else who a family who was um, who was involved in the situation itself, uh, rather than just going down the route that it went down. The very little zombie action, and when it was, it was over the top CGI stuff. So they, they could have lost all that still and made it more of a contained story. They, they could have centered on, a, a, like I said, a small little family who was caught up in what's actually happening in Basan or in Seoul or somewhere like that, rather than what it did with the action stuff. So I just Googled Train to Busan, Seoul Station, and apparently it takes two hours, 15 minutes. Uh, it's it's £28 for a ticket, 
and the earliest departure is at quarter past five uh, in the morning, and the latest departure is at half past ten at night. I can actually buy tickets from go. from Busan to Seoul Station. Thanks for that. Yeah, that's not um, quite what Seoul I was looking for. Seoul Station is on Netflix. Ooh. Great. I will. Uh, I'll give that a watch. That's Rob sorted. He's like, I pay for the movies. I'm not right. paying money. I need to save it to run the the, the, the Blu-ray play, the TV and pay my energy bills. Exactly. Don't blame you, Rob. Smart man. So, what's next? Uh, the next one I'm dedicating to Stu Miller. It's Train to Busan presents Peninsula. You've got both Train to Busan, what you lazy get. All right. <laughs> um, obviously, I've started with this one. I've just said that. And I know what Stu means. It is very different. It's very kind of action heavy. Uh, it's got a lot of CGI because a lot of it is um, kind of uh, centred on cars racing around the city, which uh, is all CGI. Um, but I still liked it. I still very much liked it. Is the first one better, Train to Busan? Um, I, um, yes, but I'm only going to say slightly because they, they are two kind of different movies um so you know if you like both styles then you'll like both movies brilliant so they're both worth watching them yes good Stu doesn't think so but no because (laughs) where's the an element yeah it loses the train to Busan part um so it's 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 a film that's called peninsula so if it was just a film that was called peninsula yeah. And not being involved with the train but to Basan sort of like franchise. Could you classify it as a franchise? Maybe there is two in the series. I know people might look at three films plus. But if it was Peninsula and it was a different film from that director, maybe. Yeah. But because it's part of that franchise itself, not really. Is that a bit like the age-old thing that really, I know it pisses you off, but it's like a found footage film that isn't found footage, but people still call it a found footage film? Is that that similar sort of thing? That's like, you know, those stupid little hills that people die on. Like yeah. uh, somebody is obsessed with something and they always just go, oh, no. Um, that, that's my little tiny hill to die on. When somebody deems a, a film deems itself as a found footage film, when it is not, in fact, a found footage because the footage is never found. It doesn't actually follow its title. Yeah. So that, that's my little hill to die on. <laughs> well, we, do, we don't want you dying on any hills anytime soon, so we'll move on. So, well, no. well, what's next, maybe, Rob? Maybe a grassy knoll, but... Yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, the next one on my list is Return to Oz. Wow. We've obviously spoke about it a few times. You know, it's brutal. Don't show it to you four or five year old like i try to do um you know the the whole kind of shock therapy in a uh uh psychiatric asylum isn't good for them uh, um but i have fun memories of this movie uh when i was younger i love the characters um i think there's something special about TikTok for those that have seen it uh like a clockwork um robot um it's kind of uh steampunk sci-fi um and yeah i i just um kind of enjoyed um another visit to uh you know oz and uh seeing other parts of 
Oz. That's a film I've <laughs> never seen yet because I'm quite happy with the first Wizard of Oz movie. So I've never ventured into the, the very strange sequel. That's the thing with the Wizard of Oz, again, franchise is the Wizard of Oz was just part of one book. Yeah. There's multiple books in that series, um, which people don't actually realize they are. But there's multiple books in that series which explores multiple different avenues, not just what we saw in the Wizard of Oz. And that's what uh, Return to Oz uh, does. Um, I think this that that's the film that Zack Snyder should have watched before he made Sucker Punch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I, you know how much I hate Sucker Punch. However, I will defend the first 10, 15 minutes of that film because it's a very dark, dark movie. And sort of like I was thinking, is this sort of like Zack Snyder sort of like doing something a little bit... So uh, it, it was dark following the roots that he had done. And then he completely threw it away. And I think if you watched films like uh, Return to Oz and all those kind of films itself, I think he would have made Sucker Punch a lot much a much better film than it could have been. But it is a very dark film. You don't actually realise how dark it is until you watch it again when you're older mm-hmm. and yeah. then you pick up on a lot of the adult themes because there's a ton of adult themes in that film itself, more so than a lot of films from that era. And it, it is definitely one of the darker films of that era as well. But it's a really good film. When was the last time you watched it, Rob? Uh, last time I watched it um, was when I tried to uh, sit a four or five-year-old daddy down to watch it. Right. Um, so uh, we're talking kind of five, six years ago. Um, and uh, that was only for the first like 15 minutes because <laughs> it had to go off. Um, but um, I would like to watch it again. Yeah, it's I might, time. I might check it out, and also because Stu likes it, so it's like I do like as much as I disagree when you dislike a lot of films. Do I'm my interest gets sparked when there is one that pops up that you like? I'm like, ooh, that must be extra special. Because if you like it, then I'll probably love it. Or practical or, or, or effects as well. Yeah, mm. and it still stands up to today, um, which most practical effect films from the '80s do. Mm. They definitely yep. still stand the test test of time today, and that definitely is one of them. I'll put a little asterisk next to that one. And I think that's it. And there's two so far in your list I've not seen, Rob, so you know, I'm starting to fail miserably now. So what's next? <laughs> you've, you've definitely seen the next one because I think it's one of your favourite movies as well, or at least in the genre. It's uh, 1999's Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, it's not on my list, but it's a shark movie, and I love shark movies. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those shark movies I was obsessed with. Uh, I bought it on DVD when it was released, and I have watched that film for probably at least 30, 40 times. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> yeah. How many times have you seen it, Stu? Like once? I think I've seen it twice. Three, Three times, I think, something yeah. like that. Similar to me, I think. It's a good film, though. The thing is, I, I paid for the Blu-ray. I, I, at the time, there was no th- such thing no. as streaming, so I'm going to get no. my money's worth out of it. I kind of miss that about physical media. It's like I've still got way more physical media discs than I can ever watch, so I'm probably going to kill my own argument. But I think streaming has just it's killed the rewatchability. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to use Stand By Me as an example, but it's like there's, there's probably a lot of films that you watched, Stu, when you were younger that you probably rewatched dozens of times over the years and there's loads of films that i've watched dozens of times but i don't know if people nowadays re-watch films loads and loads of times if they're younger than us yeah the the, the thing that i miss is is that as you said that but 
also exploring the extras and mm. listening to the commentary and all that kind of stuff. Because the way I used to do it is um, when I used to rent out um, DVDs and Blu-rays, well, DVDs specifically um, from Global or Blockbuster, um, I used to watch the film. And then before I took it back, I used to watch it again, but with a commentary on. Yeah. And I wonder mm. how many people actually do that now. Because, you, yes, you get commentary um, on Netflix and Amazon and things like that. But I wonder how many people now compared to what people were like about 15 years ago when they watched the films, how many people still actually watch it with a commentary on after seeing it where once. And I, I do miss that kind of thing as well. I have uh, around 550 DVD commentaries ripped from original discs on MP3. Like a serious collection of, of commentaries. I love them. I think they're great. Yeah, and it, it, it's just that kind of thing now that studios don't need even, even need to try anymore when it comes no. to the extras and commentaries and all that kind of stuff because they know that people are only um, interested in watching it on a streaming platform and that's it because physical media is just absolutely just tanked yeah. um, because the amount of services and how easy it is to actually get a film. So there is a lot of things that physical media that you just miss and just holding something in your hand is always nice because then you can look at it and go, I own this. Whereas okay. on Netflix, you do not own it. No. On Amazon, you don't own it. Even if you purchase it digitally, you don't actually own it because they can revoke the right to that yeah. anytime. Yeah. Um, so having something physical there is always nice as well. I only ever buy a digital version of a film, A, if it's cheap, and B, if I just need to watch it once for like research purposes or whatever. If I want to keep a film and watch it more than once, then I will always go physical media if possible. But a lot of them yeah. don't come out on physical media, yeah. which which kind of sucks. So yeah, deep blue sea. That that moment when Samuel Jackson is in mid speech and gets jumped by a shark <laughs> that made yep, many yes. many people jump. Uh, Rob, have you, you seen the other deep blue sea films? Which I'm pretty sure you mentioned previously, <laughs> didn't you, Stu? And they're all pretty shit. I haven't, but there's that part of me because I liked the the original so much that wants to watch them because I'm this completist who <laughs> likes to, to see everything, but I, but I have heard they're so bad. Yeah. Yeah. The, the second one is bad, but bad on that kind of level where it is slightly watchable. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one is terrible. So when a film is actually terrible, it's beyond like watchable. A bit like Highlander then. Oh, third oh, one's oh, fucking um, awful. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring really aliens bad. in. <laughs> So just um, watch the second one. Completely avoid the third one. Okie doke. Okay. Go on, what's next, right. Rob? Uh, number nine uh, on my list is Enemy of the State. Oh, good old good. Will Smith. Can't go wrong with a Bruckheimer movie, or a Tony Scott movie for that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, again, and the, you know, a lot of these ones that I'm, I read off, I had on VHS or... or dvd um and, and you know this is a, another good example so it's another film that i've watched multiple times because again back in the day before streaming um get my money's worth um but you know i, lo- I loved everything with will smith in at the time um again big will smith uh fan since uh, the fresh prince of bel-air and then kind of started following his movies uh following his uh boxing matches recently as well oh, is that the one um, with chris rock yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know uh you know so basically i've been with him his whole career yeah and you're still speaking to him uh even though he slapped somebody once yes me too yeah. 
Yeah. Giving him advice, actually. <laughs> next time, next time, do the uppercut. Next time, make sure guy. the cameras aren't rolling. Exactly, do it behind closed doors. But have you seen uh, little 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 Richard? Isn't it? I keep thinking, is it little Richard? King Richard, little Richard's a singer. I haven't. It's really know. good. He hundred percent deserved the Oscar for that role. He was really, really good in it. So I would check that out. It's very good. I think that's on one of the streamers, but I'll I'm sure you will, you will find it. But Enemy of the State, I saw the pictures as well. Uh, yeah, I'll watch anything that Tony Scott's directed, period. <laughs> so, and I think I've seen all of his movies many, many times. So that's a good one. And then the last one on my list is another one I'm going to dedicate to Stu. Uh, it's Top Gun Maverick. <sighs> 2022. Oh, music to my ears, Mr. Dyer. Music to my ears. <laughs> um, I literally only saw this movie the other day, and oh my god, did I enjoy it! Um, you know, it's exactly what you spoke about, Stuart, when you went to the cinema and saw it. As soon as it starts, you get that kind of. The, the the music starts and it just kind of all comes flooding back yep. but it's different and um it, it it's a strange one because i had the movie paused because i, I must have been um talking to yourself for, for some reason i don't know if you interrupted me i did um you must have because yeah, i didn't know I otherwise I would never have. You. No, I would never have interrupted you had I known you were watching this absolute <laughs> gem. But you know, I did phone you, and you were watching it. So, and and I think literally, I, I said to you on the phone, I said, "Oh, when you when you hear like that, but but like it's you know that when that, when it starts up, that is not the same music. It is, it's similar, but it's it's different. Yeah. And I was saying, you know, um, I still liked it, but, you know, oh, I just long to hear that kind of, uh, you know, original. And I'm not joking. I We'd finished talking. I'd been off the phone for like five seconds and pressed play. And it was just at the time where you do get that music. It was uh, uncanny. Yeah. It's currently, it's my favourite film of the year. I don't think there's anything that will beat it, to be fair. Uh, you know, I, the, there was a conversation between you two when uh, when you were last on Stew, and uh, there, there was talk of uh, Top Gun Maverick, and um, <clears throat> I know the chances of getting another one oh. are that like the chances of getting a, a good Deep Blue Sea sequel, but um, if there was a oh. Top Gun three, and you know, I, I'd be so ready and no, in for that. No. If, if, if Tom Cruise, and I'm not even kidding, if he phoned me up and went, do you know what, I want to do a Top Gun 3, I'd be like, no. You cut, it is not going to be any better or as good as Top Gun Maverick. Can't be. This doesn't work. So it's like, yeah, you'll get everybody flooding to you watch don't, it. You don't know that. I do. I really you do. Don't. I do. I do. It's like, it can't. <laughs> it was just, it was like, for Top Gun Maverick was like, the stars aligning perfectly. <laughs> and Stu, how often? Obviously, I'm not specifically speaking about Top Gun Maverick for you, but how often do do the stars align when a film gets made, and you come out of it going, "My God, that was a perfect film," and there was nothing that I would improve? It's very rare, very, very rare. Yeah, Stu's well, like I, I... Stu's like <laughs> muted us now. He's like, oh, yeah. Jesus, is still banging on about Tom Cruise, but I, no, I I don't want a Top Gun three. 
but but the thing is, a sequel doesn't automatically have to be better than the prequel that that it follows. It has to be as good as. It doesn't. Or it does. Um. Because, because <laughs> if you if you said Top Gun Maverick was a ten out of ten movie, yeah, and then you got a Top Gun three, and that was a seven or an eight out of ten, yeah, that's still bloody good. It is, but you can you cannot avoid what well, you can try it as much as you want. I went into Top Gun Maverick thinking I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it because I like Tom Cruise and I've seen the trailers and I like Joe Kaczynski and I've seen the stuff he's done. But there's no way this film can be as good as to me because of a lot of its nostalgia as Top mm-hmm. Gun One can't be. Mm-hmm. It's no boss, there's no Tony Scott in it, for example. All this sort of stuff. It's just going to be a, a retread, and it was better. So if I go into a Top Gun three, you you can't help but think, oh, I really enjoyed the second one. It's like a Star Wars movie. It's like the they do it. People compare it all the time, whether they want to or not. Uh, I don't so, know. No, I don't want. I don't you know, want a three. I think I can speak for both of us when I, when our favorite Star Trek series is Deep Space Nine, but it didn't stop me enjoying Voyager, which came after. But that's different. That's a different show. <laughs> that's like um, I'm trying to. Can you think of an example? Would you? I mean, it's. It's really hard to use Top Gun Maverick as an, as an argument goes to defend the film. But if <laughs> yeah. you saw a film you really, really loved, and you thought, yeah. you know what, um, what was that? What was that? Oh God, what was the Bayona film that you loved? Monster Calls, right? Yes. So if if Mon- if Bayona went, you know what, I'm going to do another one. Would you be like, yes, do it, or would you be like, you can't top the first one, dude? It's as much as I, I know you're capable and I know you're talented, and you, yeah, I'd love you to do it. I don't think it's possible. What, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, um, problem there is the fact that um, there is only one book anyway, so um, I, I, and there was no room for a sequel. But you might have actually felt that after watching Top Gun. Yeah. Because any bits when you, you heard Top Gun Maverick was being made, you were thinking, no, this is not going to work at all. Totally. Uh, yeah. but how can you leave a gap as so big as it is and then thinking you're going to capture the same kind of magic? Yeah. I wonder if people, um, going back to uh, Wizard of Oz, I wonder if people thought that about uh, Wizard of Oz leading up to the next Wizard of Oz um, mm. or the next film set in, set in Oz. Um, I wonder if people do think about that when they remade A Star Is Born, for example, or um, Oliver, or, or something like that, when something is already established and they try to remake it so many years later or try to do a film in it, in its franchise. And it's very rare, like you said, that you're going to get an original where you hold so dear at heart and then you get the sequel and you're thinking, is this going to be any better? And it actually does turn out to be better, if, if not the same, but better. Um, for, for me, it's like Alien. Like, like you take Alien, it's a different, it's a, it's a more claustrophobic sort of like thriller horror film. And you take Aliens, and it's an action film. And so they do sort of like still belong in the same same genre for part of it. But there's the other part where it belongs in a different genre. And it, again, that's very hard because how many films can you see that took the first one, and then they do the second one where it's a different feeling and it works. Yeah. So it's such a hard thing to actually do. And it, I think it's that's the reason why directors very rarely do it. So it, it must have just been that the stars aligned, that the, the moment was actually right when the, the uh, had the idea for Top Gun Maverick for them to actually make it. Because 
even though I didn't like it as much as a lot of people, um, a lot of people, as a matter of fact, um, Tom Cruise is a smart person. He actually has a brain in his head. And so he would not have made it if he didn't think that what he was actually doing was actually right, that it was the right time to create Top Gun Maverick because the amount of involvement he had in that film was unbelievable. He, he likes to have his hands on with a lot of films and you can tell that in a lot of his projects. The Mummy, for example, you could tell that he didn't have much involvement in that apart from being an actor. Yeah. But if you look at like a Mission Impossible or a Top Gun, he has a lot of involvement in the production side of things in doing all of these stunts and all that kind of stuff. So you can tell when he's passionate about something. And so I'll have to give it credit for that because you could tell he was passionate about Top Gun Maverick. I saw somebody on uh, Facebook. So Top Gun Maverick's now out on a lot of digital platforms. So like Paramount had been advertising it and stuff. And reading some of the comments, there was one guy there going, I'm not going to watch this. This is just Tom Cruise being greedy. He should have released it to streaming for us. And I'm thinking, you do realise that the movie business is a business, don't you? It's like, I mean, <laughs> nobody knew it was going to make currently $1.4 billion, But they knew it was going to make some money. So why would you just dump it on streaming going, I'll let everybody watch it for nothing? Some of the comments that people have, it's just like, well, you clearly have no clue whatsoever. Yep. But I'm very happy. Uh, I haven't watched it again because I was saying to you earlier, Rob, it's like, I've got it, but I haven't watched it again because <laughs> I don't want to watch it and go, oh, it's just a really good film now. Because when I saw it in the cinema, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a religious experience to me. And I don't want to watch it and go, well, yeah, it's, it's all right. Now we see what Stu Miller meant. <laughs> Goddamn Stu, him, and him, and him corrupting my brain. He's ruined it. He's just, he's just killed yeah. it. Let me take Sorry. it out of my list. <laughs> no, very well deserved, Rob. So, Stu, what have you got on your list? Um, so um, I'll start off with an oldie but a very, very goodie. Um, 1931's Dracula. Wow. So the, not the original like iteration of vampires because there was um, obviously Nosferatu was before that. There was actually um, a vampire film, very loose-based vampire film that was released in the early 1900s. It was actually a female vampire in it. So um, this was sort of like Bram Stoker's um, take on Dracula. And it, it's an iconic film because it is the, the thing I would probably see that started off the hammer horrors and all that kind of stuff so without dracula the probably would not have been horror as a genre as it is now because it is such an iconic iconic film um so much so that if you look at um bella lugosi he only um, and now this sounds like a lot of money back in um in 1931 it was paid 500 pounds a week to actually be uh, to play dracula um the film it took seven weeks to shoot um, and he was actually paid less than most of the actors in the film itself because he actually believed in the film and the role itself. Um, and so it, it's such an iconic, iconic film. And I could not have um, left it out of my hundred. It's good. Just, I have a, a mm. Blu-ray box set of, I think it's eight Universal Monster movies. And it's a, it's a really good set. So it's sort of like Wolfman and, and Frankenstein and all that sort of stuff in it. And, and so I believe Dracula is in there as well. So. And just a, a little fact that shows you how hard it was for um, films to be shot in different languages back then, because obviously now you've just got a, a dub. A, a dub is very easy to actually do. And when it came to Dracula, because they wanted to release it in more Spanish territories, they actually shot a Spanish version of Dracula um, at night on the sets themselves. Wow. So they had an entire Spanish cast to actually shoot the film in Spanish 
and they shot all the scenes on exactly the same sets when the um, shooting finished each day when, um, for the American version of, of Dracula. Wow. So it, it, yeah, it showed you how hard it was to actually get different language films back then. Yeah, that they had to do things like that. Yeah, whereas, like you say, now they'd just do a, you know an audio track over it, wouldn't they? Yeah, Pretty exactly much. that. Good start. Um, yep. So I'll you'll probably agree with me next one that I actually continue on with the good start. 1981, American Werewolf in London. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a classic film. Would you believe that the film itself has got a Metacritic score of 55? No, I wouldn't. Why is why is why is that got such a low score? Do you think? I, I really don't know. I didn't actually perform very well at the box office when it came out because it was that old adage X area and 18-rated certificate. Um, so it didn't do very well, and it wasn't sort of like big. Well, with the critics back in 1981, it only when it started to garner a lot of attention from fans and it became a cult classic that it sort of like became reevaluated and shown to be the brilliant film that it is. Well, nobody um, nobody knew whether it was a comedy or a horror. I think that was part of the problem, wasn't it? And you also had the howling out that, around the same time, which the howling is a much more um, far less superior film compared to American Werewolf in London because yeah. it, it is like like uh, with Ten Things I Hate About You, American Werewolf in London was sort of like the zeitgeist of horror films back in the early eighties. It actually showed you what practical effects could be done, and again, you look at those kind of films in that sort of like take of about seven years from 1980 up to about 1987, 88. And you see all of the, the practical effects from those films and how much they hold today. And it, it is just an absolute genius film. It, I think it's John Landis's best film, in yeah, my opinion, did. American Werewolf in London. So I had to go with American Werewolf in London. If you pick up the Arrow Blu-ray, there's a shit ton of special features on that, including a two-hour documentary called Beware the Moon, which is really, yeah. really good. So, that's, uh, yeah, Arrow's pretty got got a good uh, a good set of extras on there. So that was my second choice. Third one is, um, and yep, it's a Studio Ghibli film. It is the hardest, one of the hardest films I've ever had to actually watch. It's Grave of the Fireflies. Yep. Um, it's the only time Studio Ghibli has actually released two films in the same year. Um, so Grave of the Fireflies came out at the same time as My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, wow. 19- That's like a slight difference, isn't it? Completely different. And um, it, it's such a a very, 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 very hard film to watch. Um, I've seen it twice, and I include it in my list, Grave of the Fireflies. Um, it's because, obviously... Hayao Miyazaki was the one who did uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Hiromasa Yonabayashi was the one who did um, Grave of the Fireflies. And it is such a serious film. It's that kind of film, even though it's animated, where it should be shown in schools. But um, obviously, if you, you need to show it in the correct context, because it does actually show what Hiroshima was actually like from the Japanese side of things, rather than what it was like on the American side of things, because... Yeah. A lot of people, when they get taught about what happened in Hiroshima, get taught about what happened from the English point of view yeah. rather than the Japanese point of view. And to actually see the suffering that occurred, it, again, just in animated form, um, is so hard to watch, especially when it involves um, a boy looking after his sister after the parents have been killed in Hiroshima and the sister contracts this disease and he needs to try and survive when they've even been kicked out of their own home by one of their aunties. 
it's just how they go to survive. It is one of the, like I said, one of the hardest films I've ever had to sit through. Um, I watched it for the first time with my mum and she she was in an absolute state. And she was very easy to be in a state after watching films. You, mm. She would cry at an episode of Lassie. She was that bad. <laughs> Some of them episodes of Lassie were quite distressing, to be fair. Yeah, very true. But um, Grave of the Fireflies, she was in a state for a couple of days because she just couldn't believe how brutal it was and how rare it is to see it from that point of view. And it, it is such an important film that it yeah. does actually need to be watched. Even if you only see it once, it needs to be watched. But don't watch it until you're about at least the age of 15. Because right. anybody below the age of 15 will just find it so difficult. Because it's the thing with animated, isn't it? You hear animated, I mean, you might be a little bit different, Stu, because you've watched like you know a lot of the imported stuff. But generally, you hear animated, you think sort of family-friendly type yeah. stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I can't imagine going in, oh, Grave Fireflies, cartoon, yay, oh, my God. You, <laughs> you would need a My Neighbor Totoro to sort of declench your brain, I think, wouldn't you, after that? Yeah, because it's just the iconic scene where they're actually capturing the fireflies. Um, it, it, it is 2D animation, and where you just see the smiles on the face of the sister and brother. They're, they're war-torn, their clothes are pretty much dilapidated, there's mud all over them. They've had no food that day, but they just see the joy and the beauty um, with the war in the background of just these fireflies. And for that one moment, the, for the 30 seconds of animation that you hear the sweep of music and just these fireflies just in front of them, you can see the joy in the eyes that they've never seen for years and years and years. And so it's just little scenes like that throughout the film that just absolutely gut-punch you. So you definitely, definitely should be seen. Is this one of the ones that's on Netflix as well? Because I know there's quite a lot yes. of Ghibli ones on there, so that's on there. Yeah. Cool. And then you couldn't have a completely different film uh, with <laughs> the next one. Sticking in, the, sticking in the 80s, it is Evil Dead 2. Nice. Yep. Uh, it's it just honestly, you can't get two different films. You go from Grave of the Fireflies to Evil Dead 2 to a completely slapstick horror film. It's, I, it's in my opinion, it's the best Evil Dead film, Evil Dead Two, yeah, just because I, it's yeah, it's nuts. It is just a remake of the first one, uh, pretty much. But it is just absolutely nuts because when people, um, when you see the Evil Dead, they instantly go to Ash with the chainsaw, mm. and Ash with the chainsaw is iconic from Evil Dead Two. Um, yes, you've got the tree rape scene from the first one, which is slightly iconic. Yep. Never thought I would ever say that in a sentence. <laughs> um, but to Ash with the chainsaw, with the witch in the cellar and the hand running around and the screaming uh, reindeer head and the blood and guts all over the place and the claymation animation and just the silliness of the film itself is just, it's popcorn horror film at its best. Yeah. I think with Evil Dead films, I'm not counting the, the remake because I haven't seen that, but I think the second one's best Army of Darkness, close, and then the first one's probably my least favourite, although I can appreciate it because it gave us the other two. And we'll see what Evil Dead Rises is going to be like. Is this, go is, is this going to be a, a sequel to the remake, or is this a sequel to the Bruce Campbell original ones? None. None? Okay, so it's a different one. <laughs> Another reboot. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, is, it is about two, um, two sisters, okay. um, and it's, in, it's set in a high-rise, hence the name Evil Dead Rises. 
but it's set in a high-rise building. Um, but yeah, it is none. So it, I'm glad that they've actually gone that route rather than sort of like doing a sequel to Freddy Alvarez's Evil Dead or continuation of um, Ash. Because yeah. they did Ash with the, um, Ash versus the Evil Dead. Um, and that was him sort of like capping out his time as, as the person who's going to kill all of the evil demons. Now it's time to try him with something different. So it's just using the name. Um, and so we'll see what Evil Dead Rises is going to be like. It's got the it's got the backing, um, so we'll hopefully it'll be pretty decent. Good. Um, next up is um, Battle Royale from two thousand. Oh, yep. So Robert, Robert the, and I are both fans of that. Yep. Good movie. The Kinji Fukasaku um, film um, sequel. I didn't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll stick up for the sequel, Same. but it's nowhere near as um, is. They're good as the first one. It is um, just—it's a hard watch. It's a brutal watch, and you think to yourself, "They're getting away with that," but it's such a brilliant, brilliant film because the amount it actually says about Japanese politics and the school system in Japan and all that kind of stuff as well is just unbelievable. But it sort of like mirrors what it was like, what it's like across the world um, in its Japanese brilliant, over-the-top, violent way. Um, it, it's a genius film. It is great. I revisited number one and number two, I think, within the past 12 months. And I'm like you, I like number two. It's different enough. So it's not like just a retread of the first one. But uh, Bob said Battle Royale one is definitely the better of the two. Yep. Um, And then going back to a film that um, needs to be seen, but I think it's one of those films where it could only ever be watched once, and that's Son of Saul. Um, It is the last Lord Nemes uh, film from 2015. The uh, Moscow-winning Son of Saul, um, because it is such a hard film about a concentration camp and um, a father looking at well a Jewish Hungarian um, in a concentration camp trying to find his son. And the striking imagery in that film is just it will sort of like ingrain itself on your brain, on your retinas, etc. But it, it is an important film, and again, it should be one of those kind of films that should be shown in school. But again, in the last year of a comprehensive school in in history class to show what it, how brutal these concentration camps was actually were. And I know there's been a lot of documentaries and films based on it, but this one absolutely packs a, a huge, massive punch, punch. So Son of Salt, definitely worth a watch. So I know, Rob, you, you watched within the past couple of weeks The Boy in the Striped Pyjamas. I did. Uh, also about a concentration camp. I'm guessing Son of Saul is, is running laps around that one as it's due. Uh, no, they're very similar because uh, uh, the boy in the striped pajamas is a hard, again, a hard film to watch. Mm. It's an easier film to watch compared to Son of Saul, but that's not taking how difficult it is to watch from it. It, it's, it is a fantastic film as well, the boy in the striped pajamas. So I can't see a double bill because that would be the most depressing <laughs> double bill. <of> all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but maybe just watch one month, one month and then leave a gap of about a month before you watch the other. Watch, watch, watch some Totoro's in between, just to, you know, a couple of Howl's yeah. Moving Castle and whatnot. Watch that a couple of times watch and then go back in. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> me walk movies on. That'll do. Yeah, maybe even if it is your cup of tea, watch a lot of Paul Blart and uh, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, and then I, because like I did with Grave of the Fireflies, I had to put a film um, after it where it was a bit more lighthearted, a lot more lighthearted. Sort like seeing with uh, Son of Soul and um, Number Seven, a film that I'm constantly telling people to watch, 
and I'm surprised I really liked it myself, is Sunshine on Lee. Yeah, I've still not watched that. I've got the Blu-ray of that uh, behind me. I've still not, because it's a musical, and I'm, yeah. I've got to be in the right mood for those. But come on, it's Dexter Fletcher. It is, yeah, that's why I bought it. Yeah, it's based on the Proclaimers. It's based on the stage player of uh, the Proclaimers. It's got gorgeous George McKeer in it. He's an absolute. Oh, wow. He is literally the best actor we have in the UK. Me and me and Rob watched I Came By uh, this week, didn't we? We did. And starring George McKay on Netflix. Great for years. You're right. He is one hell of an actor. He's really good. He's a phenomenal actor, George McKay, and uh, I love Sun- uh, Sunshine. At least it is that kind of film where um, it is. If you've had a really bad week, um, if you just need uh, picking up a little bit, watch Sunshine on Leith. Despite the fact that there's elements in the film where it is get, does get a tiny little bit tough, um, still watch it because the musical numbers are just fantastic and it just everybody is on point. It is that sort of like cheery kind of happy film. Is it a musical number where like all the characters burst into song or is it is that type of musical? Yeah. Right. I'll, it is. I'll, but I'll... don't let that put you off. No, I'm well, trying um, to. <laughs> please watch Sunshine Lake because I will. I will guarantee. I'll give you my stew guarantee that you'll actually turn around and go, "Why the hell did I not watch that sooner?" Yeah, I do that a lot. I'll I'll hold off watching a film for years and then I watch it. And I'm like, "What's the matter with you? Why didn't you watch that? It's the best film ever." Yeah, yeah. So please watch Sun- Sunshine on Leith. Okay. Um, we'll have to. I'll have to make a deal, like a pact with the devil here, that you've got to watch Sun- Sunshine on Leith. And you've got to pick a film for me to watch, and I've got to watch it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know what's going to happen there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, Top Gun Maverick. No, it's got to be one you've never seen. But that is something I want us to do uh, probably after October. And it's, Rob, you don't even know about this yet. But it, it's like for each episode, you've just got to have watched a film you've never, ever seen before that's a classic. Do you know, like, I, this week I watched Rio Bravo, the John Wayne film. Never seen it before, but I had it on DVD. What a cracker of a film. Now I know why John Carpenter loves that film so much. And recently I've watched The Sound of Music and, and stuff like that. So we need to start mopping up some of the classics. And Stu, you can be included in that as well. You know, some of the, yeah, you- the big classic films that you just always avoided for whatever reason or you've just never seen, just will start ticking off the list. You could take that idea from um, one of those um, cinema campaigns where you just call it like seen unseen, like a film that you've not, um, you've never seen, uh, but you sh- you think you should see it. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a good idea that. Yeah. Uh, next up then from 1998, and it is one of my favourite Jim Carrey films, The Truman Show. Oh, I love it. Good movie. Yeah. I love The Truman Show, absolutely, because it was that kind of film that came out of left field, that even though it's got comedy elements into it, and um, you've seen um, Jim Carrey in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm-hmm. You just think, no, he's not a serious actor. He can't do serious films. And yeah, he's been in a few films that they try to be serious and they've been absolutely atrocious. Um, but this film here, it's sort of like proved that Carrey can, if he sort of like reels it back, he can actually star in a film itself where it is very, very serious um, at times. And it's just... It still holds the test of time today. It's such a, a brilliantly well-constructed, very well-acted, just very, very well-made film. I love that film so much. I do have the soundtrack on CD as well. So, yeah. Great score. Because, if, if, again, if like I said, if you look at um, some of the, the dramas that he's done, especially if you look at um, that film True Crimes that he did back in 2016, it was released here in 2017, 
that's an, oh, a horrendous film. Um, it, it's a, just a straightforward drama. And Jim Carrey just looks completely lost in the film itself. Um, so, but Truman Show, he sort of like latched onto it because he was allowed to have that silly little element every now and again. But when he had to do the drama stuff, he just grasped onto it. So, right. Truman Show. Good choice. Um, next up, animated back to 1988 is The Land Before Time. Wow, okay. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah, the, the film always gets me. It is one of those kind of films, you know, when memories get attached to specific films. Um, memories got attached to me with the, the Land Before Time because the first time I saw The Land Before Time is I didn't see it in the cinema. I actually saw it on BBC One because um, BBC One seems to be the one that shows it all of the time at Christmas. And I know there's something like 15 sequels to it now. Uh, but when it was me and my mum, we actually watched um, the film together. And we were just both crying at <laughs> the film itself on Christmas Day, of all things to actually be uh, watching on Christmas Day. And just it is that kind of film that has that memory that I, I absolutely hate Christmas. It is one of the worst times of the year for me. Agreed. For yeah. specific reasons, which I will not go into, but. No. It is one of those times that one of those very few times at Christmas where it actually gives me good memories. It's like watching Home Alone for the first time. It gives me good memories of what a good Christmas could actually be. And The Land Before Time is definitely that kind of film that was that'll always have a little special place in my heart, that film. So it's just a genius, genius, little beautiful film, The Land Before Time. I had that in the video store and I was always, it made a fortune so kids just adored that film they were sort of a bit like rob but like you were with the ewok movies you would just yep. see the same kids coming in every week just written in land before time and like one vhs copy of it it just was out constantly crazy yeah so people adore that film and there was like seven sequels and a tv series and yeah licensed to print cash exactly that and then the final one <laughs> are you ready to note this down this is where I'm going to get the ridicule um, so there is a specific series that I will actually defend uh, because again it has a soft spot with me because it is a series of films that um, again I used to watch with my mum she always used to find absolute pleasure with this series of films and so did I and they were shown at nausea constantly you can probably guess where I'm going to here I'm um, trying to narrow have, it down. I'm not. I'm not betting anything yet because I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I have a very soft spot for the Carry On films. Okay. I always have, and I always will have a very soft spot for the Carry On films. And my favourite Carry On film is Carry On Camping. Yeah, I just <laughs> yeah. I, I good movie. Film. Yep. I just I honestly love that film. It's silly. It's stupid, but it's Garrett. The Carry On films. Then the comedy is not the best. But, and again, if you showed this to an American, they would just go, what the hell? But it, it is that kind of thing that encapsulates what it's like to be English or British or even Scottish or Welsh or yeah. Irish. Yeah. It is that kind of thing. And just this so-called the test of time, the kind of stuff that they used to get away with. They would never be rated PG these days. Uh, but <laughs> Carry On Campman has always been my favourite Carry On film. Carry On Screaming is my next favourite in the list. Uh, but Carry On Company is just such a genius, very, like, if I'm not well, you just stick a Carry On film on, because you know it will cheer you up. So Carry On Company is my last choice. 
There is absolutely not even a grain of ridicule coming your way from me for Carry On Camping whatsoever. No. That out of all the films that I've actually gone with in my 100, that was the one where I was thinking, all right, then here we go. Here's where I'll actually get the chicken out of this. I've only seen, I have a, a DVD box set of all the Carry On movies, like a big red box thing with shit tons of extras on it. So if you want any commentaries from all those two, I have them all. Um, yeah. There's loads of them. And I think I've only seen like two of them because there's that many films and I, you know, I struggle to get through everything that I need to. So maybe some of those Carry On films will be films I've never seen that I'll tick off. But, but no, I... I think if you release them nowadays, the, the Twitterverse would just ridic- you know, go mad and be offended and you know, how can they do that? And so sexist and stuff. But they're bloody funny. It's like just people yeah. need to learn how to crack a smile for, you know, sometimes. It'll do them good. Well, if you want to know how many carry-on films there actually is, there's 20. 31 of them. Is there really 31? Wow. They've, I mean, all of them are in this box, including the carry-on Columbus, which from what I remember people bringing the VHS back in the day is not good. <laughs> they didn't. People were not quite impressed with that one so i think it's got them all in look, it. yeah they've always looked to try and reboot the franchise but please yeah. don't just don't no i don't think and it would work list. it's not gonna work nowadays is it exactly that is my list that is a good list well my list is filled with lots of big films that will need virtually no explanation whatsoever so this this is uh yeah so i'm just gonna crack on with that one so i've got star wars from 1977 a.k.a. Star Wars A New Hope, Episode 4. Uh, that needs no explanation whatsoever. I saw that at the cinema. I've seen it on re-releases when it got released with The Empire Strikes Back. I saw it on another re-release when it got released with Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And I watched all three of those films twice in a single setting, I might add, for the price of one cinema ticket. And then I saw the special editions when they were released in like 97, I believe it was. So Star Wars is probably one of the films I've seen more times than absolutely anything else. So that's that's like a no-brainer that's in my list. Uh, I'm going to jump over to the John Carpenter world, 1978, Halloween. Rob, I know you're a huge fan of that one. Uh, yep, that's one of your favourite horror movies. Stu, I'm guessing you're a fan of the original Halloween, I would have thought. Yep, I've already mentioned it on my list. You have? Um, and yeah I saw that I think I first saw that on TV to be honest and I think the one thing that scared me the most when I was a kid when I watched it was the scene when Michael Myers is dressed in a white robe and he scoots over the front of the car just before he attacks the nurse (laughs) I don't know why I think when it was the same asylums just sort of they were they were a freaky thing back in the the late 70s and 80s there was lots of mental asylum type films where people got out and created havoc so for some reason that scene stuck with me you know, when I first saw it, I think I was actually the same as the young Michael Myers. So I think he was, wasn't yeah. he like eight, nine he years old in the, in the film as well? I was like eight when, it, when I saw it. Again, it was another one of those films where my cousin actually was looking after us and babysitting. And yeah. she um, sat down and made me watch it. And I love my cousin. <laughs> the only right. member of my family I love because she was the one who introduced me to horror. Yeah. And now, because of that, we have the Stu Miller we have today. <laughs> who, int- who introduced you to Studio Ghibli, though? Me. I watched it. It was because, um, remember the film 19-whatever on, on BBC One? Barry yes. Norman used yeah, to yeah. host it. Yeah. It was um, 
and it was took over by Jonathan Ross. Yeah. Um, it was because it was one of the last films that Barry Norman reviewed. It was uh, Spirited Away. Um, and I watched it on there. Um, I, yeah, I watched it on there. That was them um, that actually got me interested. And so I saw it at the back catalogue, and I think it was Channel 4 at the time was actually showing Studio Ghibli films. And so I just stopped watching them from there, and I got addicted to them. So it was the film series on BBC One. Yeah. So I miss that series. I know we've still got the film review with Mark Kermode and Anna Smith or whatever sometimes, but that's like 10 minutes long, and you get about three yeah. or four films maximum. So it's not quite the same as a, as a full sort of in-depth movie thing, but... Yeah, the you know. BBC have dropped all their movie kind of coverage now because they don't even have the Kermode and Mia show on BBC Radio 5 Live on a Friday anymore. Nope. They've gone off and done their own podcast. They have. But people have this podcast, and they did have yours, and they did have the Bind Torture cast, and, you know, yeah. a lot of those shows have gone into retirement, but hopefully we'll come back. Uh, so the next one, 1979, this is a film that both of you love and pretty much everybody loves. It's already been mentioned on this podcast at least once tonight anyway, and it's Ridley Scott's Alien. Yep. I love that film. That is, I rewatched it maybe three months ago, and that is still, it's still a perfect film. There's nothing, there's nothing in that film where you go, ooh, that looks like it was made in the 70s. It looks better than a lot of films that were made five years ago. It's just, it's bonkers. But it's, it's a Thanks. Perfect movie. Slight spoiler alert, I have yet to mention it. Ooh. And will you mention it, will you not? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it as that. <laughs> but, uh, next film, we've already mentioned, or I've already mentioned, one of the, the franchise things of that. It is not Halloween 4 or Halloween 5, sorry. It is Star Wars Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. <sighs> those I saw that at the cinema and then that introduced me to years of pain until I could find out whether Darth Vader was full of shit and he was lying to Luke Skywalker <laughs> about that. As a kid, that was pretty much my focus between 80 and then when Jedi came out, it's like, what, what's going on? What it can't be it can't be it must be lying. It's yeah, I had a great childhood where my obsession was I'm going to wait several years to find out um what's going on. But I still think Jedi is my favourite Star Wars movie though. It really yeah. is. But Empires, it's a it's a cracking movie. So, uh, 1980 again. This is a horror movie. I don't know whether you've seen this one, Stu or Rob. It is uh, the Changeling, starring George yep. C. Scott and directed by Peter Medak. Uh, George C. Scott plays a music composer who needs to sort of get away for a little while, and and you know, um, I think somebody's died. Isn't it? His wife died or something like that. And he's like, I need to just get away. And he rents this creepy fucking looking house that you just wouldn't rent at all because you look at the house and you're like, that's yeah, that's not a, a nice, warm, fuzzy house. And he goes into the house and weird stuff happens. It is a wonderful, creepy, really old feeling classic ghost story. I absolutely love that. There is this, the scariest thing to me is either a tennis ball bouncing down the stairs, which has been used a few times in movies since, or there is several scenes where water pipes start getting banged on and the sound design on that is chilling. So if you watch that in the middle of the night, it will freak you the hell out. <laughs> so what's your memories of The Changeling, Steve? Um, just like you. It, yeah. is a, it is a very creepy film. It was one of those films that I saw sort of like late into my um, horror awakening, so I didn't like see it in the 80s at all. It was 
again, I think it was Channel 4. Channel 4 introduced me to a lot of horror films because that's what they did in the late night slots. Um, they just showed horror films just like BBC One on a very late Saturday night. They used to show very like slightly obscure films. But it was Channel 4 that introduced me to a lot of it. And I remember seeing it on, on Channel 4. Um, and yeah, it, again with you, the little tiny things are the things that creep you out the most. Yeah. Because it's the thing that just sticks with you. It's like slightly just normal, like a bouncing tennis ball, as you mentioned. You think, no, that's just normal. But that's the thing that you remember. You, you, somebody's head falling off. I've seen that before. But the tennis ball, <laughs> what does that mean? That's creepy. You see a little tennis ball or a dog playing with the ball and go, oh, that, 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 that film. You don't actually walk outside and see somebody's head getting chopped off. No. So um, it, it is those little things that stick with you. It's one of those, because a tennis ball down the stairs, you could easily prank your housemates with that one, couldn't you? You just go, tip it down the stairs. And, like, what the and if they've seen the changeling, then they may piss themselves. But uh, <laughs> there's another scene in it where George C. Scott goes into somebody's house and he's in the bedroom and he looks through the floor and he sees like this kid in a well swimming upwards and it's like jesus christ that you do not see in somebody's bedroom it's, it's yeah it's, it terrified me for a while it's uh yeah it took me it's one of those films that i tend to watch it in the daytime now because it still freaks me out even to this day i'm a little bit of a wuss when it comes to stuff like that but the, the changeling is definitely worth seeking out you may find out on one of the streaming platforms maybe shudder not quite sure but it's probably on there somewhere uh, so I'm stuck in the 80s for the next three films, actually. So 1981, Escape from New York, directed by John Carpenter, who, who just not a lot needs to be said about that, starring Kurt Russell, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Snake Plissken plays a Clint Eastwood type sort of character with an eye patch who gets himself dropped into the, 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 the walled prison of New York in order to try and rescue the president, played by Donald Pleasance. And it's just a good old fun 80s crazy popcorn flick. I'm guessing both of you guys have seen that one. Yeah. Yep. Both fans? Yes. Good, good. Uh, you will probably both be fans of the next film, which also came out in 1981. It is Raiders of the Lost Ark, or now called Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I saw it before <laughs> it had that title change, so I'm going to call it Raiders of the Lost Ark. I... I didn't see it at the cinema. I saw it on rental VHS, I think. So on a nice little tiny 4.3 sort of ratio TV. And then it was one of those films that just seemed to pop up on TV every Christmas or, or bank holiday or something. So I've seen that many, many times over the years. And it, it then made me go to the cinema and watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is my favourite Indiana Jones film uh, of, of, of the three. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> looking forward to the fourth one next year. The fifth one. No, we don't. No, 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 we don't talk about that. Anyway, moving on. 1982's uh, The Thing, another John Carpenter film. I think everybody's seen The Thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, it had the misfortune of coming out the same summer as E.T. So <laughs> box office all went to E.T. and people couldn't handle a vicious, nasty, murdering alien. Uh, and I think, to be fair, I've read a lot of sort of articles and stuff because it's sort of it's been an anniversary and stuff within the past few months and i think the marketing budget all went to et once et sort of took off and everybody started watching it they're like quick divert any marketing money we've got towards the spielberg film and i think a lot of other films suffered 
So that's why. But then over the years, obviously, the thing became an absolute classic and people still adore it and it still stands up to this very day, unlike yeah. the, the sequel, which is also mm-hmm. called The Thing. Well, it's not a sequel. It's a prequel. There we go. Yeah. There you go. Yes. When Matthias von Heijin Jr. film. It's a prequel. Is, it's okay, but it ain't no Carpenter The Thing. It was yeah. It was one of those films that was destroyed by the studio because, um, like I said, Matthias von Heijinchen Jr., who directed it, he did a lot of practical effects in the film. Right. But it was studios meddling that they looked at the film and went, you know what, we need to do this, 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 and this, and they just implemented a ton yeah. of CGI. Uh, there was an interview with because he's done very, very few films, but there was an interview that I watched with him, and it was that kind of thing situation where you had a feeling that the director was disowning his own film because how much the studio has actually meddled with, with the thing. So he, like I said, he intentionally wanted to make it have it, have the feel of um, Carpenter's The Thing. But in fact, it turned out to be more like The Thing from Another Planet instead. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, yeah, it is, it's just a pity what happened with that film. Well, it, it really is. And this happens a lot of times with studios mingle. But yet people will look at The Thing the you know the the prequel, and they'll see who directed it and think, well, it's his fault because he directed it. I'm not going to watch anything that he's done. Yeah. It's not his fault. It's and it's happened a few times, so it's yeah. Crazy. Just dig a little bit deeper, and you'll find out um, some of the reasons behind some of these films that showed potential. Yeah, and um, not always is the case, no. but uh, a few of these films that showed potential, and then when you do see the final form of the film itself. It was destroyed by the meddling of the studio because they thought they think that they know better, yeah. when in fact it is just they use the shareholders' ideas and nine times out of ten they're garbage because they have absolutely no clue on how a film should actually be made. Yeah, I will dig on dig deep on the thing as well. So interesting. Yeah. So my next film, 2015. I'm getting into a new century now. Uh, I this is kind of like a Top Gun Maverick when it's like. Right, who's in it? Oh, it's not the original person. Right, well, it's the same director, but it's fine. But it's not the original casting. How good is this film possibly going to be? Why the fuck would we have a fourth Mad Max movie? So I went to the cinema. Right, here we go. Holy crap, Mad Max Fury Road is absolutely amazing. It is... I, I think it's sort of... It's not as good when you rewatch it as much. But the first time you see it, it just literally grabs you by the throat and just drags you along. For for the full duration, I I think that's the perfect action movie. Yeah. We've got Furious to come. We haven't. I'm not sure about that. It's like, uh, what what's your thoughts on that? Because this is a prequel, isn't it? To, uh, to something. Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> it's because it's, cause it's yeah. is it Anya Taylor Joy? I think that's playing. It is Anya right. Taylor Joy. It is going to still be directed by George Miller, okay. uh, but. Uh, 3,000 Years of Longing has not been getting the reviews that people are expected that they've been getting. I haven't seen it yet, and I do want to see it because it's got Tilda Swinton in it, and I love Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Um, and so, but it hasn't been getting the reviews that people are expecting it to. With the seeing that the visual flair of the film is there, but it just does not have the kind of George Miller um, impact that his previous films has got. Uh, but we'll see. It's it's got Chris Hemsworth in it as well. Um, Furious or so, but we'll see. It's out next year. Brilliant. I'm not sure. I will watch it anyway. So. But uh, and Rob, you've seen that, haven't you? Mad Max. Yes. Good. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. Thumbs up. Good. 
post-apocalyptic worlds we oh, like. Oh, you love all those. Have you got around to watching The Book of Eli yet with Denzel Washington? I haven't. Get that back on your list. Got to watch it. <laughs> and while I'm watching Sunshine on Leith, you can be watching uh, Book of Eli. So um, my final film is from back in the 80s again, doing a bit of time travelling. It's Back to the Future, which I <laughs> also saw at the cinema, not knowing anything about that film whatsoever, other than the fact it was the kid out of Family Ties. And, yeah, it's just, you know, it deserves to be a classic, and it's just it's a classic for many, many reasons. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was an absolute pleasure to see that on the big screen, not knowing anything anything about it whatsoever and being able to watch it without the to be continued part at the end because that was never originally there that was put in <clears throat> afterwards so we didn't know there was going to be a back to the future too until pretty much it near enough popped out so uh but you know we all love back to the future so yep that is my top 10 so with the that we're up to, well we're not up to date that was the august ones wasn't it and we haven't got time to do september's yet but we're okay because it's only 7th of september so yep. we're doing all right. We're back on schedule again. <laughs> so what what is the best film? So we've got about 10 minutes left. What is the best film, Stu, that you've watched recently, this week, or whatever? What would you like to recommend? Um, Not Fall. Sorry. Sorry. <gasps> really? So, Why? Yeah. Go on. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Um, I, I thought the the acting was garbage. The tension was non-existent. It was just the CGI was horrendous. Oh it was horrendous. Um, the, the worst thing, the problem in the fact that <laughs> CGI was so bad that it's got, when you, again, dig a little bit behind the way that they're established some of the shots, yeah. um, and some of the shots can be quite spectacular. But when, for example, you see what the scene where she just falls down from the platform onto the satellite dishes below, yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. see how really bad that cgi is when she's falling out and the opening salvo sequence where you do see again just a shot where you see sort of like going down the cliff face and you see what the ground is like it's just that's all cgi is yeah. it when, when you're doing these kind of films where you're trying to establish tension and one of your opening shots in the first five minutes is dodgy cgi that's not a good foot to start on um no pun intended considering what actually happens on that cliff but um, just the whole film, there was no tension there. The relationship <laughs> between the two girls was just non-existent. Um, they felt like bickering school kids rather than somebody who was went through a term, uh, something bad, and a friend tried to sort of like condone her. Um, it was just, it was bad. Sorry. I'll, was I'll, bad. I'll let you have the bit when, with the satellite dish, because I remember watching that shot going, eh. It didn't take me out of the film at all, but the, the whole opening, the opening credit sequence, Jesus Christ, I literally paused it after that, and I needed a breather. I'm not even kidding. This is It had me, no pun in, oh yes, pun intended, but I was on the edge all the way through that film. I was a bag of because I'm not a fan of heights. And so, yeah, it kind of had me. The only thing I didn't like about it was there was a plot element near the end that I didn't think was needed, and I'm yep. like, just keep the film simple and just yep. keep it two people stuck up a tower and I'm all good. I didn't need that extra stuff, which I'm guessing get, you know exactly what I'm on about, Stu. And Rob, you do too. I do. Yep. It's like you don't yeah, need I that. Really, yeah, I really hate it when they do that. They think they're smart by doing something like that. Yep. And you just think to yourself, well, no, you're not. Because you've just gone and sort of like zapped away what you've ha- what's happened in the last hour and a half. 
Yeah. So no, it's it's just you've undone yourself when you think you're being too cocky. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that annoyed me, but I still, but but that time I'd seen all the stuff previously, where I'm yeah. like, right, I'm in. But yeah, I was a fan. And Rob, what were your thoughts? Because you watched that this week as well, didn't you? Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, just looking up uh, the production budget, three million. Yeah. So uh, you know, obviously they weren't given as much money as Maverick was. No, um, you didn't have Tom Cruise behind it. Tom Cruise would be like, "Nope, we're doing it again." In fact, a lot but, of them they did climb up an actual tower. They they CGI the extension of the tower, but they were up a tower, some sort of pretty high tower, filming a lot of that. So, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, mm. You know, it's it's not my favorite movie uh, of the week, Maverick. Um, yeah, but obviously, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoyed it. There was nothing. You know, it kept me interested because there was kind of, um, you know, sometimes if it's uh, a movie filmed in one place, it can be really bad or it can be really good. And I think they said on the good side. Have you ever seen a film called Buried? You seen that, Rob? Buried, possibly. It is. I mean, you're talking about films shot in one place. This is Ryan Reynolds in a coffin underground. That's it, right? And yet I think it's a great film. It, it kind of works. No, I haven't seen that one. It's really good. I'll put it on my list because I love these uh, one person, one place movies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and Frozen. Frozen's well. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen that one, Rob? Not the not the animated. Yeah, and the second one with. Uh, yeah, don't watch that one. Fr- Frozen and Stu, you may know who made it. I don't know who made it, but um, but it's about uh, people who decide to go out onto a ski run late at night because they want to do a bit of a sneaky ski and then they get stuck okay. on the ski lift it breaks down and it's obviously it's frozen so they're you know they're chilly up there but that's really good that's definitely yeah. worth seeking out who did the hatchet films uh, yeah. but you know, it, it's a completely different feeling to hatchet but um that, that's a fantastic that definitely has tension yeah. a ton of tension in it so frozen is definitely worth a watch uh, so yeah, is Top Gun Maverick your your favourite of the? Obviously, it is. I don't even know why I'm asking Rob. Down <laughs> to me, isn't it? You've watched it this week, therefore. Yeah, um, you know, I uh, I enjoyed Fall. I enjoyed I Came By, which you spoke about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed uh, 127 Hours, which I watched. Yeah. Um, but nothing can beat out Maverick. No. Not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen this year, unfortunately. They could bring out a Star Trek movie. Well, no, that probably beat it for you, wouldn't it? <laughs> Power Rangers movie, and you would be impressed. Um, so, what's the best thing? I see. I'm torn between two. I'm going to recommend a TV show that's just started on Shudder today, which I don't know how many episodes it is, but episode one is on the Shudder platform, and it's 101 scariest horror moments. And I, I love those sort of shows. You don't necessarily come away learning anything new, but it makes you sort of want to rewatch, like Child's Play, and you know there was there was something called Black Sabbath which I'd never heard of, so that was in it. And what else was in it? I'm trying to think. It was only like an hour or so ago that I watched it, but um, so Child's Play. There, um, I can't remember. I can't remember because I've been busy podcasting. But it, it's it's clearly going to count down the 101 scariest horror moments. And there are people who are who get interviewed. So Jeffrey Reddick's 
in it who did The Final Destination. He wrote that. Mick Garris is in it. Axel Caroline's in it. Greg Nicotero's in it. So it's just good to hear all these people just popping up, talking about how they first discovered these movies back in the day. Um, there was a Toby Hooper film in it. And I forgot what it is. Shit, I can't remember. It's because I can't multitask anymore. So while I'm talking, I can't remember back to what I was doing. But 101 scariest horror moments on Shudder. So if you've got the Shudder platform, check it out. Uh, but my favourite film of the week, and I'm pretty sure, Stu, I think you've probably seen it. I'm also thinking you probably hated it. I thought I was going to hate it uh, because I've seen the first one in the series. I didn't watch the remake. I haven't seen the sequels. But this new one, uh, I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> we'll go watch those. Because <laughs> the reason I spoke with Terry Zaki last week, who was in the first one, and he made a documentary called Growing Up with I Spit on Your Grave, or Day of the Woman, as we, we choose to call it now. Um, and he was a producer on I Spit on Your Grave, Deja Vu. And I didn't have time to watch all the films before I spoke to him. So I'm like, right, so I rewatched the first one. And then I thought, right, I'll watch this this new one, which is a sequel to the original 1978 film. I, I enjoyed it because I thought it was just going to be a retread. But it kind of isn't. It's Firstly, it's two and a half hours long, and you generally don't get two and a half hour long movies of this type. But I, I, didn't, I enjoyed it. It was brutal, and it felt low budget, but that's fine because the first one was low budget, so it sort of carried on the characteristics of the first one. There were plot bits in it that I did not expect. There's a scene on the church steps, which sort of made me think, okay, so this isn't the sort of film that I was expecting, but do you, do you want to tear into it, Stu? Because you went to Yuch, so I think I don't think you were a fan. Call me psychic. Yeah, I hated that film. <laughs> uh, it was, if I remember correctly, uh, no, actually it was, it was in my worst films of the year in oh. 2019. Oh. I absolutely, you can actually watch it for free as well. It's on um, It's on that platform, Freebie. Okay. What you yeah. see, IMD, IMDB. Yeah. Um, it's now called Freebie. So you can watch it for free, ad free as well. You don't even need to sign up to it as well. So it's on there for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, actually a decent thing to download that Freebie because yeah. it's got a, there's a lot of free stuff on that, hence the name. Yeah. Um, so it is on there. But my God, is that film awful? <laughs> it's just, honestly, because I've watched the. The original. Yeah. I've watched the remakes, the three sequels to, well, the two sequels to the remakes, um, and then I watched that, and it was that that kind of thing, like it was falling on the tread of Halloween. This is actually the genuine sequel to the original film, and bloody bloody blonde. Oh, it should have just stayed dead. <laughs> I didn't mind it because I thought I was expecting it was going to be because they made this big thing about oh we've got you know Camille Keaton back again I'm like okay so she's clearly going to get kidnapped and bad things are going to happen and then it's going to be a revenge thing and stuff but then the plot just sort of goes off on a different direction you're like okay so what's going to happen now and then different things happen and then you I, I sort of it'd been on a while and it got to a certain part of the plot and I'm like how long's this film can't be it's saying it's two and a half hours that can't be two and a half hours so I went onto IMDb. And it's like, sure enough, it's two and a half hours. But it was I I, did, I I don't think it's a film I will watch a lot because of the subject matter. It's not a pleasant film to watch. But for, for what it was, I, I quite enjoyed it. 
but I'm not, yeah. I wouldn't recommend it. I'm not going to. And I told Annette, I said, I've watched it, but you're never going to because <laughs> <she's, laughs> she would probably fall out of me and kill me and stuff. Uh, she doesn't like that sort of film. But, you know, it was a lot better than I thought. It wasn't any Top Gun Maverick, though, but it was it was better than I expected it was going to be. Can I just quickly suggest that people, if they if they haven't seen it, um, then please do watch uh, the Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power. I am watching so I the first episode of that tonight. Actually, when I finish this podcast, because I've just got I'm not long got a brand new television, and so like I was trying to find content that actually would show it off. And my God, is some of the shots in that um, in the first two episodes absolutely breathtaking. Like the visuals, I know each episode is something like eighty million dollars an episode. Yeah. Uh, but my God, is the visuals in the episode a million times better than what was shown in the Hobbit films? And just because it was directed by one Antonio Bayona, the oh, first two right now we know. <laughs> yeah. like, but I'm a Lord of the Rings fan anyway. Uh, but there was a absolutely a lot to really like about that, and it started off on some a fantastic good foot footing for me. So um, I really, really liked the, the two episodes that I watched. Yep. You absolutely spec. It's got the same um, score from Howard Shaw, so oh. he's done the score as I'll, well. I'll be in. This will be like a retread of Top Gun Maverick. It's like, dong, <laughs> I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> it, it's the, set, the first like minute or so when you start hearing the music and going, this is the Lord of the Rings. This is Lord of the Rings music, and the music is spectacular. The visuals are spectacular as well, and it's just it's very well paced. Um, it just feels like it is you're back in Middle Earth. You're actually back in Middle Earth, so I really liked it. Yeah, we're gonna watch Pike. We're gonna watch episode one. We watched the second episode of House of the Dragons today, and then I broke off to do this podcast. And then we're gonna go. We're, we're struggling with too much stuff to watch and not enough free time <laughs> together yeah. to watch because Annette does night shifts. I do night shifts, and we're, for the past few weeks we've been doing different night shifts. So when I'm working, she's not, and when then she's working, I'm not. And Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power is one of those things where we wanted to both watch it. So that's why we sort of stockpiled it and stuff. But are you going to be watching that, Rob? Or have you already uh, seen I've it? watched uh, the first two episodes, so I'm uh, at the same level as Stu, and uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, so shout out to the person on uh, uh, the Geek House uh, on Facebook who ridiculed me for saying that this looked good. Um, who ridiculed yeah. you? no idea i don't remember people's names who were oh. uh, I, I don't uh, you should because it's our group <laughs> yeah I know. well the thing is i don't think they knew i was uh, an admin because um the account that i use now isn't the one that was made an admin <laughs> all right well i'll have to make the other one oh. leave something in there at some point robin and i'll know which account to make as an admin yeah, you can see it. Um, I I shared the the last trailer before um, of uh, of the um, that pop culture thing. Yeah, the, the the last trailer of the show we're just talking about that. I've just oh yeah, Lord of the Rings. There we go. go. Yeah. That one is so um, memorable. You can't even remember so, what show we're yeah. talking about. Brilliant. And, uh, like I say. Um, some person ridiculed for me and asked me what planet I was on. So I kindly responded to. Uh, uh, to them with earth and uh, yeah. a link to nasa with all the information just in case they, what you do uh, is you go i'm on middle earth fuck off that's pretty much <laughs> what you say to them yeah. <laughs> but yeah i'm gonna watch that and then i'll probably watch episode number two tomorrow and we'll near enough is it wednesdays or fridays the new episodes drop thursday 
Thursday. Why was it right, brilliant? Trust me to get both days wrong then. So that's fantastic. So I'll probably watch the third one tomorrow. I'll be all caught up by next time. Yeah, the, the perfect thing as well is that it's going to be finished just in time for when uh, the Cabinet of Curiosity starts on Netflix. Nice. So we we yeah. have got some good stuff coming up over the next you know, two, three months. There's a lot of bits and pieces. So. The Del Toro thing. So I can't wait for the Cabinet of Curiosity. It does look good. It gets kudos for the type of trailer they put out, to be fair. It's like, do you know what? For doing that trailer, I'm in. You know, even yeah. though it looks good anyway, it's like, you know, fair play to the, the marketing of that. So Yeah, as soon as Del Toro just utters the word practical effect, <laughs> I mean, it just had me. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, definitely. So what are you guys up to tonight, Stu? What are you going to do once we hang up on this? Episode. Pretty much go to bed because I've got to be up at five o'clock in the morning for work. Ugh. I know, I know. I don't have to be. I'm I'm not back in work till Friday night, but I'm in the shitty office, so you know. But I'm only in for two days, and then I'm off. So, and I have in October, I have like three weeks off work. I've booked a whole week off to go stay in a hotel in Manchester and hang out at Grimfest for four days. They are showing twenty three movies. Uh, I think it's like two on Thursday, seven on. Friday, six on Saturday, and like I don't know the, the remainder. <laughs> the remainder on Sunday. I don't do maths at this time of night. I don't know how many of those I'll manage to see. Hopefully, all of them. But I, I don't know. I don't know if my brain can cope with that many films in such a short space of time. But I'm hopefully going to be grabbing a lot of interviews and bits and pieces and stuff. So, best for me is I'm heading to Manchester at the end of the month. Really? What well, What are you doing? Anything exciting? Well, I'm going to a gig in Manchester because it's my birthday on the 25th um, of this month. Um, and so I'm going to a gig in Manchester on my birthday. Well, who's the gig with? It's a band called Electric Cowboy. Okay. Which they are a German death metal, EDM, rock, dance kind of mixture band. So, and what, yeah, you, what venues are that? Can you remember? Uh, it's the O2. Um, I only know it's the uh, it's an O2 um, academy in, in uh, Manchester. Right. Okay. And um, the opening at um, the NX in Newcastle, which is more closer to me, on the twenty fourth. Yeah. But because I've got a couple of friends that are going to a wedding on the twenty third in Manchester, and they're staying over, um, I just thought, you know what, do something a bit different for my birthday. Yeah. So I'm travelling down yeah. uh, very early hours of uh, the Sunday morning, which then my birthday is on. Bus or train. Bus. Bus. Yeah, that would be a few yeah. hours, wouldn't it? Would it be like four hours, five hours maybe? Yeah, um, stop off at Leeds and then a bus from Leeds to Manchester. So I'll leave Sunderland at about half six in the morning. Yeah. I should get to Manchester for about 11 o'clock. That's not too bad. Not yep. too bad at all. Rob, what are you up to tonight once we – you're going to go and watch some of these films we've recommended? Soul you? Station, yeah. You're going to watch that? Yeah, I cool. am. Well, I'm going to go watch Lord of the Rings Episode 1. So, but uh, but yeah, we're all caught up to date with the top ten movies, so our, our ten favorite movies. So that is good. So we will try and get the remainder of the September ones knocked out before the end of the month. That way, we're not behind. And then uh, Stu, keep your brain thinking for horror stuff to do in October. I will do. Fantastic. But you guys enjoy your evening, Stu. Good luck with work tomorrow. Sleep well, mm-hmm. etc. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, enjoy. Take care and bye-bye. bye bye. Bye bye. Bye.